0: This week at Over and Above. The claim that a combined only 9% of the population voted for Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton has become very popular. The number is misleading, but a reality is still made very clear that an investigation of the numbers shows there is room for more than two major parties in the American political landscape, at least mathematically. And... Casually dismissing a presidential candidate as completely unfit for office has become a hallmark of the 2016 campaign. Is this politics as usual? Or is there a danger in playing the unfit card? We discuss this week at the Over It Above News podcast. so mike only 9% of the population is selecting the two major candidates for the presidency
1: that's what i've seen on on uh you know on on the the giver of all news facebook yes uh, <laughs> i've seen a bunch of memes and a bunch of posts these numbers seem dubious to me though what what have what have you found over there yeah me too and i, I started looking at this and i'm like well 9% that is extremely small right i mean that is That seems low. Wow, that is, yeah, man, we got a problem if only nine percent are voting for our two our two nominees. It turns out that it's 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 a little bit more than that. That's not the nine percent is based on American citizens as a whole, including those who do not have the right to vote, such as people infants, infants, people under the age of eighteen. It also includes felons that have lost the right to vote mm-hmm, in their particular right. state, which is another issue that's been kind of cropping up lately. I know Virginia has been getting into that. But anyways, it's it's more like um, 14 percent of the electorate. That's right. Of, 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 okay. of eligible voters have voted for these two nominees to be our nominees and you know, fourteen percent. That's still not that great when you think about it. I mean, I, that's still a pretty damning statistic in my mind. Like, yeah, that's pretty. Now, that's that's each party, or that's both parties combined. So that's that's combined, which is um, okay. Yeah. So that's that's a. Uh, it's not a lot of people voting for these two candidates to to represent the two major parties mm-hmm. going forward in the national election. And so I I started wondering, well, what what does it look like in years past and mm-hmm. you know, what, what happened in, in 2000, I, I guess we well, kind of have to go back to 2008 because 2012 didn't have two primaries. We really just had one because we had an incumbent um, president Obama kind of basically, and no one challenged him. So you know, right. I can't really look at stats there, but going back to 2008 with uh, Obama and Hillary, that, that, that was a very hotly contested election primary election and then mccain romney the two front runners over there when you look at what obama got and what mccain got and you add them together and you you divide that by the total voting population Mm -hmm. it's right around 14 percent. i think it was like 13.8 or something around there i want to say wow so it's almost identical is it just that now that we don't have that now that we got two people that no one seems to really like right now we're getting upset about this like is that is that what's happening? Is that okay? Now we have these two kind of, you know, one's one has serious trust issues, and the other um, has you know serious temperament issues and trust issues and trust issues, right? He's got both and just issues, <laughs> and just issues, in issues in general on issues on issues. They,
0: they just uh, keep coming. Well, this is very interesting because you know when we when we think of the two party system. Right. And we think of the way the primaries are carried out, where there's a popular vote. And again, this is something we've said on this program a number of times that the popular vote in the primaries is a relatively new invention in the history of parties. Right. This is not the way things were always done. Used to be just backroom deals, and the party elites would pick who they wanted and they'd put them out and boom, go have your general election. So we think of this great democratizing this great democratization of the parties but really only 15 percent of the population getting a say
1: in who the rest of the country will be voting for yeah I, it's well it's it's not just that i mean it there was a large amount of more than that voting in these and, and you have the other candidates kind of siphoning off those votes so mm-hmm. um, there's still I mean you know, there are still plenty of people who choose not to vote who do have the right to vote and that's their that's their prerogative I mean I, I have always been a staunch proponent of if you want to sit in your couch on election day that's your right as an American um, because f- you know forced voting is is, is a facade, you know, so you know, the, the whole get out the vote. Yeah. If you have a strong opinion one way or another, go ahead. You go, you go out there and you, and you make your voice heard, um, with the pen in your, in, in the ballot box, do it. Love it. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. That's what our country is all about. But if you don't, if, if you feel like none of these people have earned your vote, I, I don't see some sort of weird, um, some people throw around the term civic duty, right? To go out and vote, right? No, you don't, you do not have a civic duty to go out and vote. It, 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 it's not mandated and if it was, it wouldn't be a democracy. So that's just, it's just bogus. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's been consistent and when you go back in time and you look at some of these numbers dating all the way back, uh, you know, to the nineties, um, you know, primary numbers, and, and you're right, that pri- the, these primary popular votes haven't really been a thing all that long. We're only talking late 60s where they really started doing this. Mm-hmm. Became very popular, yeah. And But, you know, going back to the 90s, you have a very consistent trend that doesn't really get broken up until 2008. And that is that both candidates from both major party are getting right around 10 million votes on all the primary contests more or less right we got some less some more uh george w bush in in 2000 um got 12 million mm-hmm. votes in the primary which is quite a lot um mm-hmm. compared to years past yeah it was... yeah compared to years past and going forward no one i don't think touched it until i mean trump just it, you know we hear him all the time gloating about um the number of Votes he's gotten 13 I think around 13.1 million as being mm-hmm. the most any Republican candidate has gotten but we're also 16 years past 2000 so I mean the population has increased since then and he's only getting 1 million more than George W. Bush so I don't know but when you look at the numbers here and you look at 9 million votes for Bush in 92 9 million votes for Bob Dole in 96 Mm-hmm. Bush W. got 12 in 2000. Gore got 10.8. 10.8, modest number um, for the Democrats. In 2004, John Kerry got 10 million for the Democrats. And then something happened between 2004 and 2008 because in 2008, at least for the Democrats, it exploded.
0: Well, don't forget the, the Obama campaign was a revolutionary campaign. Brought out minorities and young people in record number... Used social
1: media in a way that a campaign had not, and and it's not only that though because I mean, he got seventeen and a half million, huge, huge number. Hillary got seventeen point eight. She actually won the popular vote, I think. When you look at the when you look at those numbers, Obama mm-hmm. was able to to gobble up the delegates and 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 do that kind of delegate math, which Clinton was so good at this time around. So she kind of learned her lesson. From two right. from 2008. Um, but Obama, you know, the two of them, though, seven right around 17.5 million each. That's a lot of votes when you compare to Al That's Gore in 2000 yeah. at 10.8. And mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't know who came in second to Al Gore, but I don't think that person got, you know, 9 or 10 million votes. I mean, I think that that was probably relatively close. So... I mean, not, I'm sorry, was not relatively close. So being that Gore got the the, the vast majority of votes there. And then in 2008, so you have Obama and Hillary getting 17.5 million each, but then you have McCain doing the same old thing, right? He's just chugging along 9.9 million votes in the primary for John McCain. Uh, Romney that year uh, garnered uh, 4.5 or so. Huckabee, another 4.5, but you know, 9.9, 9. it's kind of that similar number that we've seen. Nothing really all that out of the ordinary. What happens? He gets crushed in the general election in 2008 to someone like Obama who's mm. really turning out the vote. Just to speak to your point
0: about Al Gore in the 2000 mm. oh, Democratic yes. primary, I've got those numbers here. He beat out Bill Bradley, senator from New Jersey. Uh
1: Bill Bradley receiving three million. Yeah, that's what I thought. Right. That's exactly not even not close. Even close. Yeah. So less than a third. So when you look at that two thousand, you have Al Gore getting ten point eight million, Bill Bradley, whoever he is, got three. And then you look at two thousand eight where both Democratic candidates, Obama and Hillary, there might have been more, mm-hmm. but the two front runners there, Obama and Hillary, both getting seventeen and a half million. That's a huge, huge number. Over over thirty five million. Also, if you want to talk about delegate
0: math, Bill Bradley mm. did not carry a single state. Oh, well, poor Bill Bradley,
1: man. I got to look this guy okay. up. This poor guy. Well, he, he withdrew in March. Okay, so. so that's yeah. It was yeah. It was pretty. It was ugly. <laughs> oh man, which which kind of surprises me then that Gore couldn't have done. Well, I guess he did do pretty good against Bush. You think about it; he won the popular vote because bush had some other people to contend with in that election too. I mean that wasn't a that wasn't a cakewalk for bush. There was mm-hmm. yeah, he was up, yeah, John he was McCain up against John McCain, um, Right. a few right. other a few other uh, was, was Buchanan in that one too. Mm-hmm. Nah, he was done by then. Uh, he All always right. shows up against the bushes, I feel like. He's just like <laughs> he's like uh I'm Pat Buchanan. Yeah, I'm like okay. <laughs> I
0: don't know what you're doing here, Pat. <laughs> Nope, just John McCain. John McCain, uh, actually, big big turnout for the Republicans. John McCain took six
1: million okay. votes, so they're up at eighteen million total in two thousand. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then in two thousand eight, the next time they have a they have a primary, mm-hmm. uh, they're at uh, McCain had ten million, Romney four and a half, Huckabee four and a half, Ron Paul one. So. Uh, um, four, nine, eighteen, yeah, around twenty million or so. They're getting there, but Obama and Hillary still blowing them out of the water. Combined, thirty-five million votes on on the Democratic side, mm-hmm. and then, like I said, in two thousand twelve, they just go back to being ho hum Republicans again. Romney at ten million votes, Santorum at three point nine, and and that's you know, and and they lose again. 2016, we have a little bit of a different situation. I mean, we have Trump garnering 13.1 million, which is a lot. That's a lot of votes, mm-hmm. um, and the total Republican turnout is was also very large. I mean, when you think about, yes, he had the most votes in history for any Republican nominee. He also had the most votes against, right? Especially, which I I feel is important. To point out because he loves saying that. Oh yes. He loves
0: getting up there and saying I got more votes than anybody. All the other losers. <laughs> also, more
1: people have voted against Donald Trump than any other nominee in history. And and I get it. It works both ways because he's absolutely right. He can get up there and say, look, I ran against nine of these other guys. A lot of these big names, uh, you know, big named yeah. other guys, governors, governors, um, senators. And I got 13.1 million votes. You know, Bush only ran against basically just John McCain back in 2000. He got 12 million. You know, that's easy. If I was just running against McCain, I'd get, you know, 20 million. I don't know what, right? But at the same time, you're right. You have millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people voting against Donald Trump in the primary. Mm -hmm. And that counts for something. Um, Clinton, by the way, and now in 2016, um, reached 16.8 million votes, less than she had in 2008. So she lost a million votes between now and when she ran against Obama. Sanders was up there, too. That, that may have contributed. Um, but I'm sure it I, did. Yeah. It's, that's kind of tough, though, right? Because, I mean, she's up against Obama, who she lost against. And she got 17.8 million. This time around, she's up against Sanders, who she beat, and she only gets sixteen point eight million. So the turnout is a little bit lower, mm-hmm. um, and I think that just comes from the theme of the election. I think she has trouble. And she has trouble getting people on her side. I mean, we've seen this, right? She's she has she has issues. She's not um, she's not immune to them. And this isn't. It hasn't really been a huge get out the vote campaign yet from the Democrats. I mean, that's what Obama did. In 2008, And I think it drove people out from everywhere. And that's why turnout was so high then. It's something I want to talk about a little bit now, though, then, is that if this has really been a, this has kind of been a steady, this hasn't been something that's new. The fact that a small, small percentage of the electorate are voting for the leading nominees of each party. This is nothing new. This has happened now in 2016. It happened back in 2008. Um, 2000 is probably the last year where it was a little bit, probably a little bit higher. Um, But this is, like I said, this isn't really much new because in 2008, you're talking right around 14% voted for the nominee. So what does that mean for the current state of politics are we only upset about it now because we don't we really, really don't like the people you know who are at the top? Is, is mm-hmm. that why we're so up in arms about it? Is that why the, the the Bernie Bros are throwing this stat out there? And I haven't just seen it from them. I've seen plenty of people throw it out there and it it's, it, I mean, it's, a, it's a great stat for those who don't like either of the candidates because you get to say, like, look what our system does. It perpetuates this. Mm-hmm. But are we really only upset? I mean, people didn't really seem to have a problem with it when Obama won in 2008. The criticism wasn't as prevalent
0: as it is today. But then again, I don't know that the major parties have been as widely criticized as they have been in this election.
1: Mm.
0: And that's that's something that's very profound. I mean, I like to think of the it's a classic political cartoon where you have the ballot boxes and then there's a, a big metal waste paper basket next to them and that's where all the nader votes are going <laughs> right but that's the the concept of the third party the the constant stigma has been that it's throwing your vote away and uh i think you know without being too cheesy in how i turn the phrase i think everyone's trying to figure out how to throw their vote away this year. It's like, God, where can I put my vote? Can I put it literally anywhere else? <laughs> and don't forget, I mean, you saw... This is something I think is really interesting, is you saw the resurgence of multiple directions within the major parties, right? Oh, so yeah. back at, at in the early 20th century... I mean, you had the Republicans, you had the Democrats, but you also had the progressive Republicans and you had the progressive Democrats. There was a progressive movement in both major parties and it caused for much more dramatically contested conventions. I think you're finally seeing that again, maybe not on strict progressive lines, certainly on the Democrat side. Bernie Sanders was a populist progressive candidate. Um, but Trump, a different kind of movement in the Republican Party, definitely populist. I don't know that it would be really be progressive so much as nationalist or protectionist.
1: Yeah, he definitely falls into that, into that category.
0: Right. Um, and Bernie did too, interestingly enough. I mean, they're a lot more similar there than people I think are ready
1: to admit. Oh, they certainly are, and you know when you we, when when you bring that up to to some of these Bernie folk, it's 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 kind of it's kind of amusing to watch the reactions because they don't mm-hmm. they don't really see it at first, right? How could how could we be connected with this racist with this fascist? Um, but no, when you when you look at a lot of what both of those candidates were saying throughout the primaries, they're on point with 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 each other more often than not. I I would think. Mm. and uh with 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 the grand scheme of things and with with it being the you know the year of the um the anti-establishment mm-hmm. um candidate which only one party elected by the way you right know, i mean hillary clinton is as establishment as it gets um it'll be it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the anti-establishment candidate fares against the establishment in a general election and i think I think we're already seeing glimmers of, of of what that's going to pan out in November, and that it's just not going to be good. Because, and while the sentiment might be there for the American public that they they distrust the establishment, they uh, they want someone they they want someone who's clean, who's not dirtied mm-hmm. by by years of being in the soot of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um. But when when you see how that candidate, how that person that you picked campaigns it's i mean it's it's really bad i mean we you know, trump has had a, a really really bad few weeks now after after his convention disaster has been re- absolutely and and this is and this is where i take qualms with people who are saying well you know you know well, well bernie sanders he's anti-establishment yes he is but he's, but he's not an outsider. He knows how the game is played. Mm-hmm. He chooses mm-hmm. not to engage in certain aspects of the game because he's he thinks that he's above it, and that's that's grand. That's fantastic. I think that's why he lost. Right. But probably um, he still knows how to play the game. He knows how to campaign. He knows how to manage. A, you know, he knows how to manage a campaign. Mm-hmm. Someone who has no experience in this at all has to learn on the fly, and I think that's what we're seeing. Um. But still, though these numbers—only fourteen percent of voting Ameri- of, of eligible Americans, eligible voting Americans—voted for one or the other candidate combined. That seems like it that that it can open up a space, open up a room for someone else, for another party to actually make headway in this country. And it's not—I mean, like I said. These numbers haven't really changed much over the years. You know, back mm-hmm. in back in two thousand eight, it was similar, but people seem to be more conscious of it now. Well, that's something to really take a look
0: at. Is that the the vast majority of the electorate, right, is convinced? You know, a good a good what, eighty-five mm-hmm. percent of the electorate does not feel as though they're represented by these parties. I mean, that's that, that's an inference that I'm drawing. Yeah. But they 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 don't want to contribute, they don't want to participate. So I think you're right. There's a lot of room there for other parties. I mean, even if we just abided by the a party can not get more than fifteen percent of the electorate voting for them, right? There's a lot of
1: room for, you know, a good right, four or five other parties. Yeah. I mean, well, it's even less, right? Cuz that's combined. So when you look at it that way, I mean, each party is really only drawing about 7% of the voting electorate to their mm-hmm. nom- to their eventual nominee. You know, I get it <laughs> that during the campaign, during the primary, you have people voting for other people cuz if you're going right. to if you're going to vote your conscious, if you're going to vote for the weirdo, I mean, when else to do it but the primary, right? Where it doesn't really Absolutely. matter that. I mean, you know, to some people it matters a lot, and that's fantastic. Right. But where you know where th- the actual election isn't on the line. If you're not going to vote for the person that you like, that you personally believe in, <laughs> then when else are you going to vote for that, right? Right. Because yeah. you see how it. I mean, this is how it boils down to in the general election now. For for many years, it's been well, you know. I'm gonna vote for this guy because he's you know the less sour of two horribly sour milks it's just mm-hmm. um, so I get it that that kind of pulls away but still the numbers don't lie and that 7% that's the number that you're that each that each party is drawing to their eventual nominee plenty of room there for someone else to make a difference
0: it with a question that I posed to you pre-show Michael I'm gonna pose it again on this show and that is this what makes a person unfit
1: to be president of the United States we've heard that a lot recently right from both sides I think you know we, we've heard the lock lock'em up chants from the from the from the trumpers mm-hmm. and we've heard the well we've heard the current sitting president of the United States say, say those words that he's unfit that Donald Trump is unfit for the office and Hillary Clinton has said it too and temperamentally uh, unfit. temperamentally is her, unfit. is her buzzword yeah right I don't know I mean I take a little bit of issue with that just from the sense of just just being a an attorney and a lover of con law not all attorneys are by the way so like people think of law school it's like oh they just must study the constitution Really. <laughs> Most, well, Actually, a lot of law schools, I don't think it's even a required course, con law. And constitutional law is not uh, – it might be tested on the bar exam now, but it's it's certainly not a, a huge topic. You look at other topics like property law, some of the antique subjects right. of law, like property law and civil procedure. Those are the ones that are tested. And con law is kind of like this esoteric thing that doesn't really get brushed on too right. much.
0: I get the impression they're like glorified historians. They kind of are, or like independently wealthy people who <laughs> want to be constitutional <laughs> lawyers so that they can, you know, just talk about the Supreme Court all day. And
1: I mean, it's fascinating stuff. But like when you look at the practice of it law, is. it never gets used. But but I, I'm a nerd in that in that regard. I love my con law class. So when when I hear someone say, "Well, he's unfit to be president," well, okay, then that must mean he's not. He must not fit the three requirements, <laughs> which is that he's a nat, he or she is a naturally born citizen, that they're 35 years of age, and that they are that they have lived in the United States for 14 years. Nothing about temperament. Nothing about temperament. There's nothing. We've had real. We have. Some, we've had some hot-headed presidents in the past. We've had some real duds of a president in the past too. You think of like jimmy carter
0: think of the last law and order president the last law and order president of course
1: being richard Milhouse (laughs) nixon you know like some of these people it's just like yeah what does it mean to be temperamentally unfit for the presidency i'm I'm not sure what that means it means nothing and i'll
0: tell you what it means what it means is this it means that anything that that person says by virtue of just coming from them is unfit it's invalid it is with a single word it invalidates anything said by your competition and therefore neutralizes the debate it doesn't need to be had there doesn't need to be a debate let me put it another way both of these candidates want this election to feel binary you might as well just put colored levers in the booth. Red and blue. That's What's right. your favorite color? Both parties are doing this. It used to be, you know, Mike, you and I had an interesting discussion about this, that like depending on the issue year to year, one side or the other would kind of indulge in this a little bit. I know you, you mentioned abortion. That's a great example. People on the left might say, well, how can they even entertain this view? You know, in this day and age, it offended their sensibilities as progressives to the core. Right. In this day and age, I won't even hear the argument. Right. Of course, abortion in a very special way is, is an impasse, right? The, the the premises for the argumentation, namely the personhood of the fetus, or it's a binary exclusion. They're, they're mutually exclusive premises. They're incompatible, incommensurate. In there there is no terminus to that debate, so that's why they ended up there. Kind of the same with war and defense spending on the right. You know, we're not going to hear anything about peace and love and harmony. Sure, that's an ideal in the high you know ivory tower that you liberals live in but in our world of <laughs> grit and terror and, and fear you know there's an enemy out there and we're not going to hear anything to the contrary it's definitely been the rights champion of that sort of demonizing you're right so on both sides there but it's been an issue to issue thing you know when you reach an impasse when you reach a point where in that specific debate abortion defense spending or war mm-hmm. uh you know, both sides have mutually exclusive premises to which they're arguing. So not only do their conclusions disagree, but they're not starting from the same premises. So the, the arguments run along parallel lines. They never intersect. Right. There is no yeah, possibility for debate. So you might as well just demonize the other side. Right. I'm not going to hear about it in this day and age. Or I'm not going to hear about it in this world that we live in. Those are the two that were said. Right. Set. You're absurd. Never. I'm not. I'm Right. 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 I'm not even going to waste my time addressing it. And boom, debate's done. There's no point in going any further. I don't think we've ever seen it leveled against the entire person of the opposite candidate making any kind of debate or agreement. It'll be interesting to see what the debates are like. How is it not going to be them standing up there just going, he's unfit, she's unfit, he's unfit, she's unfit, he's unfit, she's <laughs> unfit.
1: Yeah, right? Over and over and over again because that's what they've come to. It is, and you're right. It, it is a tactic that has been used, I suppose, throughout history. It, it's it, this isn't completely new. It is new, however, to to just label someone as unfit for the presidency. I mean, what does that mean, and what does that say about you, or what does that say about the country? Then, what what are you setting us up for if you say right. that? As the sitting, this is why I take issue with with President Obama saying that. Not because I don't agree with him that. I don't though. I don't agree that he's that, that Trump is unfit. I don't agree that Hillary Clinton is unfit, right? I agree that they I would agree that they're both poor choices for the office. that I think they both hold um, certain ideas and certain temperaments. The two of them, not any one, mm. the two of them, temperament that might not be ideal for the office. I think Hillary is aloof and um, consider considers herself above the law. Mm-hmm. And I think Donald Trump has has a temperament of a child. I'm, going to, I'm not going to disagree. I, I'm I'm not. Hey, I mean, that's what you think. And I think a lot of people would agree with you.
0: But I, <laughs> since when did elections become about temperament? Well, right. You know, like you said, we've had hot-headed presidents. We've had aloof presidents. I mean, geez, LBJ walked around the White House talking about his penis. That's right. Look it up. He really did. He, he did this. He called it jumbo. He bought special pants. Yep. He made foreign dignitaries look at the thing. I mean, that is like, you know, that's probably why he was one of the few presidents who was unseated <laughs> after getting in there just because the other guy got shot i mean all due respect <laughs> to jfk but i mean you know this was a weird guy and the and the gears of the nation kept turning like That's nothing right.
1: stopped and crashed That's right. crazy because his temperament was strange well it's and, uh, and i want to go back to the point that i was making was that i take issue with someone labeling this especially someone who's not in the race because right. it makes sense for Hillary Clinton to to say that he's unfit and vice versa right because it the, the sure. what it does is it demonizes and it and, and it creates an image of the other person that well his or her arguments are ridiculous right. shouldn't be listened to you have to vote sure. for me then right makes sense is it's an makes, understandable that, motive that like makes sense is, right yeah what i right. worry about a sitting president saying this and i can understand why he's doing it is because he he believes truthfully and honestly that Donald Trump would be bad for the nation. So he wants to do everything he can to get voters to vote otherwise. But what happens if he wins? And now right. you have a sitting president or a, a former president saying that this person is unfit for the office. And now he's right. in it. There's, right. no, there's no changing that now unless he does something that's impeachable and maybe he can be removed. I don't know. What kind of atmosphere does that create? And, and what right. kind of, right? I mean, it's. That's an excellent point. It, I don't think it's helpful. And it, it maybe it's helpful to get to, to, to get voters to, to maybe not vote for this person. Mm-hmm. I don't know how successful Barack Obama is going to be to get people not to vote for Donald Trump, right? I mean, don't you think that anyone who's who's on the fence, are they? Re- is their mind really going to be made up by by Barack Obama? I think so. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. I think I think he speaks to
0: a large portion of the center just as effectively as he speaks to the left. Because say what you will, at the end of the day, there's a certain respect for the office. The man's a president. There is. Right. That's he and is. that's what, you know, to your point, that's what I think is so upsetting about a sitting president saying of a presidential candidate that they're unfit for office. Because it, it in a way sort of insults the office if they get in there. I mean what happens if, take what the,
1: happens if he wins, right? I mean what yeah, I
0: you know, you can't <sighs> even think about it. You know, I, I heard that bookmakers were putting the odds at, at like three and ten which was comparable to what they were putting Brexit. Oh, boy. (laughs) Look out. So, yeah, it's like, oh, look out for that. But uh, I I guess what I find most upsetting about, to your point, about a sitting president doing it, is that it it shows just how pervasive this view is and how naturally we're all following into this atmosphere. And when I was thinking about this pre-show, I don't know why, but it reminded me of, like, Middle Eastern politics, where you have... Mm -hmm you know, Sunni and Shia Muslim, right, who are vying against one another for control of areas and both think that by nature the other is unfit. Or look at Darfur or all the the areas where genocide is prevalent in Africa where these people think, oh, that, that party. Now, granted, these are usually ethnic groups or religious groups, but it's still the same kind of ideology, that that person is by their nature unfit because of the views that they hold or the, background they have or where they come from and i'm afraid that what we're seeing is the sowing of the seeds of that type of reasoning into the american political rhetoric so that there's a class of human beings in the united states that are democrat or republican and by virtue of them being those things they are unfit For office. That's what I'm afraid of. I think that's the next logical step. It is the next logical step. Yeah. And that's terrifying because that's how you get people strapping bombs to themselves and going into coffee houses. That's how you get people, you know, doing crazy things because of this constant atmosphere of, oh, it's the end of the world because Donald Trump is now sitting in that chair. Or Oh, it's the end of the world because Hillary Clinton is now in the office. Not only is it upsetting that we're not, that we're ignoring the issues, you know, I think you and I both have issues with one or the other candidate that we agree with and one or the other candidate that we disagree with. And the fact that that's not being addressed is a detriment to the American public. But the greater detriment is what it's teaching young voters, young people, impressionable people and just everyone's sort of latent subconscious understanding of elections in general, that, you know, once something like this seeps in, it's really hard to get out.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Over and Above. Be sure to check us out on the web at overandabovenews.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Media. Also, if you like what you
0: heard, or if you disagree with it, write us a review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. We're on all the major platforms, including SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Mm-hmm.